Okay, let's try this again. Good morning. I know it's raining and it's soggy and it's like, okay, I'm here, but am I really here? I want you to be fully into this, okay, this morning as we, as we dive in. So we're in this series on discipleship. And as a church, we've defined what discipleship means because we have discovered that there are too many people who call themselves followers of Jesus who have different definitions for different words, kind of Christianese words that they get from the Bible, and they don't know we're not all on the same page. We're not all singing off the same sheet of music. And so we have defined discipleship as being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus, right? First, you've got to be with him to learn from him because he's your teacher, he's your rabbi, he's your master. And you have to be with him to learn from him how to be like him. So it sounds kind of redundant, but there's purpose in that statement, okay? You have to be with him to learn from him how to be like him so that you can do the things he is doing for the reasons that he is doing them, okay? And that is our guidance as a church. If, if we're to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it says make disciples. What does that mean? It means you are a disciple maker, okay? And in order to be a good disciple maker that is proficient in making disciples, you have to sit down with Jesus and learn how to do that. Not only do you need to learn it in your head, you need to put it in your heart, and then you need to start walking that walk. So we're going to explain that a little bit today. We started a few weeks ago by explaining what the gospel is. And I explained to you that the gospel is, first and foremost, it is a message of salvation. Salvation from all these dark and awful things that can happen to us in the future. The traditional understanding. But the other half of that equation is that it is a salvation for something as well. And so we talked about a more holistic uh, version of what the kingdom is. Every time Jesus talks about salvation, every time he talks about heaven, he talks about the gospel, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And it's an invitation to partner with God in putting the world back together. It's an invitation to bring heaven crashing into earth. If you read Revelation, it doesn't talk about us going, woo, kind of disappearing or disapparating, if you will, into this esoteric region up in the sky. That's not what it says. It says that heaven will come down to earth and a new earth will be created. In other words, God still thinks this place is good and he wants to join his preferred reality with our reality and make it better, make it the best it can be. Kind of like redoing the Garden of Eden, only there's cities and gardens put together, okay? So, there's been a lot of debate in the last five years about what heaven is and where, how you get there and that kind of thing. If you don't pay attention to those things and all the theological stuff, here's, here's what I think. I don't care what you think about heaven. We all want to get there. We all want to go there, okay? And you can put heaven wherever you want, but our mission if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is until that day that the Lord returns, our mission is to work towards putting all of this back together. We put it back together, and we figure out how to participate with Jesus in putting that back together, okay? And so the gospel has this piece in it that's about getting saved, yes, I don't want to diminish that, but that's not the full gospel. When we say that it's just about getting saved, then we minimize it. The other part of it is you're saved for something, to put it all back together so that heaven can come down to earth. And we, when Jesus returns, we're already practiced in what he's up to, 
Does that make sense? We need to practice that now instead of like, okay, I got there. What if you get there? Seriously, you ever think like this? Maybe I'm a little alone out there by myself. You get there and you're like, oh, I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> I, I, gotta, I, gotta get, I gotta practice a little bit more to get up to snuff, okay? Whatever's going on there. So that was all week one, okay? Week two was God has put a piece of him in you. There's this thing called the Imago Dei in Latin, the image of God. Christ is in you. He has made you in his image, is what it says in Genesis. And that thing that he's put in you is true of you. No, The way I think of it is no matter whether you are close to God or far from God, he created you and he put something in you that he wants you to use for his kingdom. He doesn't want to use you, like use you up. I've said this over and over. He doesn't want to use you up and throw you away, wear you out, burn you out, and that kind of thing, till you're all depleted, okay? He's the battery that's in you. And it's, it's like a Tesla battery. It's an awesome battery. In case you didn't know, they can go 350 miles on one charge now. Okay, just a little side note. Um, by the way, that's putting the world back together. And I'm not going to get into all the pros and cons of that. But not we have to be, as Christians, all about this world, okay, and making it a better place. But God has put something in you, okay? And the thing is to find out what that thing is and then develop it so that you can express it in a proper way in his kingdom, for the kingdom, for each other, okay? So the goal for each of us is to find out what that thing is, to understand it, and then submit it to the lordship of Jesus. And we talked about how you all don't have the full image. We all have a piece. Like you've got a piece, and 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 I've got a piece. And whatever, all those pieces have to come together so that together we are the church and we do things together, all right? Last week, in week three, we talked about in order for you to experience the whole picture of what God is like, you have to experience it in community, okay? And there's all those different pieces that we have. And for some of you, it's, you have the piece that's leadership, and for some of you, you have a piece that's compassionate, okay? And for others of you, you, you are good teachers. You are good preachers. You are good caregivers, okay? The list, the list is endless. Whatever that piece is that God has put in you, we put it all together. We all come together and we experience, as, experience it as a whole. And thereby, we experience the whole character of God. We get the full picture of who he is. So we, plural... We talked about this last week, right? Y'all. We don't have a good word in English for you all. The closest we come to it is in the South, which doesn't make me happy that it's y'all. I'm like, we don't have this plural version. But we, plural, together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talked about last week. Okay, and we talked about that from 1 Corinthians and, and from Romans. And if you want to go back and listen to all that, we have a podcast on our website, and it's all very neatly organized and very easy to find. There's not, in fact, if you haven't ever been to our website, you should go look at it, okay? There are no drop-down menus. Can I get an amen? You just click, like, one thing, and it's there. <laughs> okay? It's really great. There's a thing up there that says blog, and you hit it, and it goes to blog. There's a thing up there that says podcasting, and you're just there. It's like magic, okay? Um, so, here's the recap. Let's put this up on the screen. Uh, we have a more holistic definition of the gospel. We're talking about discipleship here. There's a holistic definition of the gospel. We have to start there with what that gospel message is. 
Then there's the aspect of the image of God is in you. And then there is we contribute and participate in community. And this is all part of discipleship. This week, we're going to get into another piece of the pie of discipleship. And this is going to be all about spiritual maturity. Whoa, whoa. We're going to have to, we're going to talk about adulting in spiritual formation. Like, adulting is real, okay? And this is why I've said before to many of you in here, uh, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with your age. Because unfortunately, you could be in church for like 10 minutes, or you can be in church for like your whole life, but you could not grow up. You could not attain spiritual maturity. You know why you don't? Because churches don't talk about discipleship. Not enough. And more than that, besides not talking about it, they don't give us handholds for how we're going to do this together. We are going together. We're going to figure out a way how to grow up and attain that maturity in Christ that he expects from us so that we can do the things Jesus did and is doing for the reasons that he did them. Does that sound good? A little bit scary? A little bit scary? Okay, yeah, you're like, okay. That doesn't sound like, um, I've been to lots of churches before and, you know, it was nice and it was fun and everything was awesome, but I didn't have to commit. Well, that sounds like a little bit of commitment. We're talking about discipleship. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we're dead serious about it. So, what I want to talk to you about this morning is this. If you are going to be spiritually mature, there must be in you a passion for the Word of God. You must be passionate for the text. You must have a desire to know deeply what the Scriptures say and what they mean. And not only that, how you're going to live it out. How you're going to live it out. And the best way you live it out is together, doing it together. That's why if you go on our website and you look at our values, we want to be like Jesus, we want to do this together for the sake of others, and we want to be generous. Why? That looks and smells and feels like Jesus. All over the place, those four things. Those four things encapsulate what it means to be like Jesus when you dig into them. Spiritually mature people exhibit a passion for the Word of God. So is this a plug just for our Bible study? Yes and no. I want you to do that. It's also a plug for kinfolk groups. It's a, it's a plug for being consistent on Sunday mornings to come to this table, to be together, to worship at the throne of God, and that kind of thing. But I want to, we're going to just dive into a few passages here this morning that are going to illustrate this for us, okay? So, so you can see what we're talking about here. We're going to go way back, and we're going to work our way forward. We're going to go to the Old Testament, and then we're going to come forward. So this is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is kind of like the, the base of where we're going to start. It's the scripture reference that's on the front of your program this morning. And this is what it says. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own, own good. So, why does God give us these commands? What does the text say? Does it say, um, because he's trying to control you and make your life boring and no fun because it's all about the rules, right? Is that what it says? No, what does it say? Why does he do it? that scripture back up there. For your own 
right? I want to look at this, this phrase. Let's just keep it up there for a minute. I want to look at this phrase from this passage a little more closely. What does the Lord require of you? To fear the Lord your God, right? To walk in obedience. To walk in obedience to Him. To love Him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay? So, to fear the Lord your God. To walk. The word to walk. Let's go to the next slide. The word to walk in Hebrew is halak. Okay. Halak. Everybody say halak. Halak. One more time. Halak. There you go. Okay. In all his ways. Say the word direct. Direct. Next slide. Direct. To walk. To direct. To direct the halak. Okay. So, once you walk in his ways, direct means ways. In other words, if you translate this correctly, it says to walk the path, all right? To walk the path. So he says, I want you to walk the path of obedience to him, all right? In the Jewish world, the word halak, it doesn't just mean physically walking, okay? You could use it that way. It doesn't usually mean that. If you ask, this is what, how you would do this. When I meet you in the morning, I'll say, good morning. How are you doing, Right? That's what we do today. Back then, they'd say, good morning. How is your halak? Halak is how they say it. How is your halak? How is your walk? Is what they would say. How is your walk? So, that's an interesting phrase. If you fast forward to the New Testament, there is another verse that's very uh, that you should know. It's a very important one from 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, and it says this. But whoever keeps... His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, whoever says they're abiding in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus what? Halak. The derech. Okay? How is your walk? Anyone who claims to be in Christ Jesus, many of your versions might say, um, must live the way Jesus lived. How many of you have that version in your scripture? Probably a few. You must live the way Jesus lived. And that's not a wrong translation. It's a correct way to apply the metaphor that's here. But we lose, when, when, when we, sometimes when the translation is translated that way, we lose part of the meaning, right? The word is that we are walking. We are walking the way Jesus walked. We must halach God's derech. Okay? Don't you just love Hebrew? It ends with that. Yeah? You gotta practice that. All the boys, all the guys in here are good at this because they, never mind. They grew up spitting. Okay? So, this is important because the word, to walk implies what? It implies action. It implies you have to do something. You can't just sit in your chair and walk the walk, right? You can talk the talk from your chair, but you can't walk the walk, okay? We must walk the path, all right? It, to live, as some of your translations say, to live, okay, like Jesus, that just kind of implies a state of being. I'm alive. 
live. But to walk means something completely different. It implies action, movement, something um, that I'm doing in my life. We must walk in all of God's path. It's kind of like we need some kind of spiritual Fitbit, okay? Or an Apple Watch with some kind of tracker that says, in fact, there are all these kinds of things out there. You can go to all kinds of websites and download apps to your phones that help you track how you're keeping in the Word and what you're doing for your own spiritual formation. Let's look at another verse. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me your derech, your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Teach me your way, your path, because of my enemies. So he wants... David, who wrote this psalm, he's like, I want a smooth path. But who teaches the path? God does. Every time it says Lord in the Old Testament, it's talking about God. Okay, Teach me your way, God, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have, that verse continues, and it says, I've stored up my word, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So how can a young man keep his way pure is how that starts out, by guarding it according to your word. How do I keep my direct, my path, my way? How do I keep it pure? By walking the path, a way that is consistent with God's word. I mean, it's so weird. It's so weird. I do what God asks me to do, and everything works out. I don't do what he asks me to do, and things fall apart, you know? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, that I might not sin against you. How do I keep my path pure? I walk on God's path. Where do I learn God's path? In his word. In his word. If I'm going to halach the derech, then I must walk according to his word. And here's the thing. I don't get to pick it. I don't get to cherry pick this part of the word and be like, I want to do that, but this part over here, not so much. That's not for me. I want to do these things over here, but I don't want to do this over here. I like this part, but not that part. I love it when people are like, hey, Jesus is all about love. I feel like you're judging me. That's one of my favorites. As a former college pastor, let me tell you, I got that all the time. College students, that's just so judgmental. I can't do that. I can't say that to anybody. I can't believe you said that to me. That's so judgmental. You know? And here's what I have uh, to say about that. I'm not judging you. Read the whole word when you want to talk about Jesus and what he's all about. It's super interesting when Jesus says, you're wrong when you do things like this. Don't do them anymore. (laughs) You know? Start living like this. Turn from this way of living and live like this. But those are the verses that my college students, and frankly, as I've been doing this for 20 years, my 50-year-old parishioners and my 60-year-old parishioners and my 90-year-old parishioners are like, but I don't want to do that. And I'm like, call the ambulance, okay? Because Jesus says you can't cherry pick. Okay? He says, these things are not good for you. Do these things over here. Okay? 
I love that. <laughs> the college students. Yeah, I had so many uh, conversations down at Boise State University at coffee shops and, and in Meridian, Idaho, back where we used to live with students who were just like, I don't, basically, I don't want to live. What do you mean I can't do that? The Bible says this. I never read that in the Bible. Exactly. You haven't read your Bible. Okay. You want your way to be pure, which is a great desire. All these college students that I had were like, I want my way to be pure. Right? That's a great desire. But you need to walk the path that God sets forth for you in his word. And you need to walk all of it, not parts of it. Not just the parts you agree with, not just the parts that you think are easy. You need to walk all of it. Jeremiah 6, let's put this up here. Jeremiah 6, verse 16, says it this way. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody need some of that? Some rest for your soul? Yeah. The good what? The good derech. The good way is. Ask where the good way is. And then I do what? What does it say? And walk in it. And walk in it. Ask where the good path is and walk in it. Don't just know it. Don't just memorize it. Don't just go to Bible studies only. Walk in it. Walk in it. It's like this. Think about this for a minute. This is something all of us will get. Okay? I'm telling you right now, you will get it. Let's say my son comes to me, and I say to him, Isaiah, uh, I want you to go clean your room. Everybody familiar? You've either dished this out or you've been on the receiving end of it, right? Hopefully. Hope. Everybody familiar with this? Go clean your room. Half of you. I'm very afraid to go in some of your homes. Okay. Are they clean? <laughs> um, I go to my son Isaiah and I say, I want you to clean your room. And he comes back to me and he says, Dad, I love you so much that I memorized what you said. I memorized what you said. I memorized it in Greek. Dad, you said go clean your room. And I memorized it. And now I know it. Go us and clean us your room us. Right? And Dad, guess what? I got all my friends together in a small group. And... We talked about what you said. We talked about what you said. Go clean your room, and we talked about it. And we discussed all the different ways that we could go about cleaning our rooms. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Look, Dad, aren't you proud of me? And then I'm going to say, I'm going to just ask him a simple question, right? And what's that question? Did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? At some point, my brothers and sisters, we have to come to terms with living for Jesus, and that means that we're actually walking something out. We're walking it out. 
the path that is unfolding before us that God has placed for us in his word. Now, here's the thing. I want you to know God's word. I want you to know it. It would be really good if you memorized it. No one's going to argue with that, all right? But if that's all, that's all you ever do, then when it comes to relationships, your relationships are going to be petty and shallow and meaningless because it's always about picking things apart and never just about walking. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people in this church, people in my last church, people in the church plant my wife and I planted about Here's all the things we want to discuss, and what do you think about this? And they're always trying to get me, the preacher, in a trap, because it's always stuff that's like out social stuff that's out there on the news, right? What do you think? Because if I tell them what to think or what I think, it's either they're going to agree with me or disagree me, agree with me, and they're going to walk one way or the other, right? And I'm like, just do what the Word tells you to do. Stop getting caught up in all this garbage. Just do what the Word tells you to do. At some point, Christians have to be people who walk like Jesus walked. You aren't going to be able to do that unless you sit down with Jesus and you learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus so that you can do the things he did for the reasons that he did them. Before you tell me that that phrase up there, that you need to walk like Jesus is all about like the works righteousness thing because if you've been in church for 15 minutes, you're going to be like, that's righteousness, that works. And I'm like, please go away. Seriously, I don't want to hear that. Like that's, that is not what that is. Here's what I have to say to that. Read your stinking Bible and just do what it says. That might sound like really hard for Seattle. Maybe we need a little bit more of that. Okay. Just do what it says. It drives me crazy to watch Christians sometimes. They try and fit all the little Christian things into their little circles of Christian-y stuff, and they're not walking anything out. Not walking anything out, you know? We're teaching our kids to play the piano, to play an instrument, to learn how to play chess. I drop them off at swimming. I drop them off at soccer. I drop them off at baseball. I put in their care in other people's hands so that they learn a certain skill. If you want your kid to learn how to be like Jesus, you can't farm it out. You have to live it. That is the best way. Yeah, we can have a children's ministry and a middle school group that are meeting right now. It doesn't matter at all. I've had this conversation over and over and over for years now, right? It used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago, we have all the youth and children stuff at church, right? And then all of a sudden, the stats tell us that even with all of that, 80% of the kids, when they graduate from high school, they leave the church, right? And then it was like 30% of them, when they grow up and get married and have kids, they'll come back. And it's like, because we want to depend on that? Don't worry, 30% of the 80% that left will come back. Guess what? Now it's like 95% of them leave, and 10% of them come back at all. You want me to put on, fix all the things here in church? This is every pastor's chagrin, right? Get all the programs and bells and whistles for me and my family. But it doesn't work. You know what works? You. Halaking the derech and learning how to do it so that your kids learn how to do it from you, 
your grandkids, your nieces and nephews. It drives me crazy. We're not walking anything out. And so ultimately, in those discussions, their conversations aren't about what's rooted in Scripture. It just becomes pop psychology and nice ideas. And here's what I think, because I have a friend who thinks this now, and this happened in their life, and they made a choice or decision, or they said this is the way they are now, or whatever it is. And it's really all about your happiness and all the feels. Feeling good about putting God in your shiny, happy box. And here's the thing. In a certain manner of thinking, in a certain manner of thinking, God does not care about your happiness. What did the preacher just say? Yeah, I mean, he does, but in a certain manner of thinking, he does not care about your happiness. You know what he cares about? He cares about your holiness. He cares about your holiness. Okay? Your happiness is kind of your problem. You choose whether or not you're happy. I'll tell you what, if you choose holiness, you will be happy. You will be happy. You will have no regrets. By the way, here's something I'm learning. No matter how deeply someone offends you, maybe I've offended you this morning, uh, some would say, my, some one of my old professors would say, I'm not doing it right if I didn't offend somebody. So <laughs> you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. But... Um, no matter how someone deeply, however deeply they offend you or hurt you or wound you or whatever, blah, 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 no matter, no matter what it is, okay? Here's what I've been learning. No one else is responsible for your emotional well-being but you. No one else is responsible for your emotional well-being but you. In other words, stop blaming relationships. Because I get this all the time. People are like, I'm done with church because blah, blah, blah. I've been a Christian my whole life, but this happened. Stop blaming relationships for why you won't grow in the Lord. And start getting in the Word. And you might be like, well, these people over here are influencing my decision now, so I'm, I just need to give this up or I need to do whatever, okay? Stop blaming relationships for why you're not growing in the Lord and get in the Word and start walking the path. The answer to problems isn't in people treating you correctly. Because people don't owe you anything, and they're not going to treat you correctly. They won't. It's in the text. The answer is in the text. It is in your scripture. The rabbis call it the text. It's in the text, and you will find Jesus in the text, and he will help you. He will help you and your emotional well-being and who you are. Now, I want to illustrate this another way. There's this group of people in the New Testament, in Jesus' day, they're living in this world that invited them to be lazy and it invited them to aspire to pleasure and it invited them to just soak everything up in leisure and it invited them to be all in, only concentrating on status and things and assembling their own pile of stuff. Not at all like today. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that's totally not like today. And as they read the Bible, this group of people, they were like, I actually can't take my way of life anymore. They're reading the Bible and they're looking at their life of pleasure and leisure and stuff and status. And they're like, I can't take it anymore. I can't do it anymore. 
and they rejected all of it. And these were not poor people. They were the millionaires of their day. They were the millionaires. And they rejected all that stuff, and they said, we can't do this anymore, and they let go of all of it, and they went out in the desert. Here's where they went. I want to show you a picture of this. Here's where they went. Mm. Let's just reject it all and go there. Love it. This particular place on our globe gets less than two inches of rainfall a year. It's like where I grew up in Arizona. Actually, it's worse than that. So, actually, I love Arizona, but like it's hot, right? So this is a hot, barren wilderness, okay? Let's go to the next one. It's just gorgeous. They went there. They're like, mm, that looks, let's give it all up. We read, we read the text and we're like, we can't do this anymore. We're going to give away all of our stuff. And we're going to go out in the desert. And we're going to go in those holes in the wall there. Let's, let's go to the next one. Hey, does anybody know what this place is called? Anybody? Yes? Yes, those are the people, the Essenes. And this is called Qumran. How many of you have ever heard of a thing called the Dead Sea Scrolls? Anybody? This is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. That particular cave right there is called Cave Number 4. You actually don't need to file that away and save it for any reason, but <laughs> there's no point, right? This is Cave Number 4. Uh, this is where the bulk of the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. So you're talking about original texts from the Old and New Testament that, and the commentary on, these, uh, on the way of life of these people. So these rich people who read the Bible and couldn't take it anymore, they went to this place, they gave up their mansions, and they gave up their status, and they gave up their comfortableness and the, the cushy lifestyle that they had. They wrote it all off, and they gave it up to live out there with no running water, uh, no toilets, no sinks, caves. Okay? And why did they do that? They went to live out there to devote their entire life to the text, to the studying of the scriptures. And they were called Essenes. They gave their life and their soul, their, all their devotion to knowing God's word. Now, and I'm not going to say they did it all right because it's kind of like a hermit life, kind of like monastery, monk, cloistered off away from the world. And that's not what we're meant to be. We're not meant to be cloistered off from the world. And they didn't quite get that, but they're like, their devotion to the text is noteworthy. It's really important. Why in the world would they do that? Because in my, like the way I would grow up, it was like, that's a stupid decision. I wouldn't do that. I would not have done that. You know, that doesn't look like success. They had this theme verse, this passage from Isaiah 40, and it says this. Here's how it goes. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall be made level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Prepare the what? The derech, the way 
of the Lord and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Question, does anybody in here want to see the glory of the Lord? That's a bit scary, but yeah, I do. I want to see it manifest here and now in this place, in this church, in our city. I want his glory to be revealed. I want all of us to be changed and start walking the walk, to walk in his way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way. It's real simple. We sit in our Christian lives and and in our comfortable little American bubbles. Put whatever first world country in there you want to make fit. And we wonder why God doesn't show up. Because when we're comfortable, we don't have to prepare the way. Prepare the way. Make straight a highway for your God. How much effort? I mean, these guys, they gave up everything. These guys and gals, they gave up all they had, and they went out in the desert to study the Scripture, to prepare the way. How much time do you put into pouring over God's Word, knowing His path, walking His path? How much time do you put into understanding God's Word so that when He shows up, you're going to know what He looks like? Right? So that you're paying attention. Jesus is speaking to you. He's speaking to us all the time. Do you want God to show up in your family? That is not a trick question. Do you want God to show up in your family? Yeah. Prepare the way. Do you want God to show up in the lives of your kids? Prepare the way. Your grandsons, your granddaughters, your nieces and nephews. It can go the other way. I've seen it a million times. Kids, you want your parents to know God? Prepare the way in your life. It's not complicated. It's just not easy, right? It's not complicated, but it's just not easy. You want God to show up, right? How many of you want God to show up in your life? You want him to show up in your life? Good. I'm glad you all raised your hand. <laughs> um, you have to prepare the way. There is no shortcut. There's not an app for that. <laughs> I mean, there is for some of these spiritual practices, but you can't just be like, I want to download that. Level up. You know, can't do that. Can't do that. There's no short, shortcut. It, and if you, here's the thing, if you do halach, the direct, Walk in the way. He's going to show up. He's going to do amazing things in our lives if we'll do it. This is in, I want to tie this into how it all fits now within our series. What does this have to do with spiritual maturity? This is in the guts of spiritual maturity. This is in the very base layers down to the atoms of what it means to be spiritual, mature people. A passion for God's word. This consuming desire to get into his word and know what the path is so that I'm not confused about which way to take when life gives me a bunch of different options so that you can walk it. How many of you feel hungry until you read God's word that day? I confess, I can go a day, I've gone a week, I've gone a month, I've gone months. Okay, And you're like, whoa, didn't want that pastor to be my pastor. I prefer to be the one who doesn't lie to you. <laughs> okay, 
It's, it's hard. And you will have seasons where it's harder than others. That is why we do this together and we learn how to be a family that does this together, right? You want to halach the direct and walk the path that God has for you? We need to be in the word so that we can walk that way. If I don't, if you go the whole day and you haven't even thought about it, it doesn't mean you're evil. It just means you need to be with Jesus. You need to make, you need to put that, you need to pencil it on your calendar. Put it on your day planner. Put it in your app. Whatever. Go join a group. Come to a Bible study. Start there where you have some accountability and recognize that we're working on, like, accountability isn't like, oh, I've sinned and done all these bad things. Help me not do that. There's a place for that, but accountability is you're here and you've got these great skills and gifts that God's given to you and you need to use them for his kingdom. Jesus got that, that hunger, right? They're like, Jesus, we're hungry. He's like, oh, you didn't eat. And he's like, I've got food you don't know about. The scriptures is what he was talking about. Spirit, that's what spiritual maturity is. And this is what we've been coming to for the last few weeks. Spiritual maturity, I want to put this for you, is the image of God in you and a passion for God's word expressed in God's community. It's the image of God in you, understanding that. First and foremost, realizing that the gospel isn't just salvation uh, from, it's salvation for, right? That's the whole gospel. And then the image of God in you and a passion for God's word and then expressing yourself in God's community based on the thing that he's put in you. That's spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? I think a lot of, a lot of times we just go, oh, spiritually mature, it means that I've, it means that at some point I, I'm gonna develop some kind of habit where I'm reading my Bible and I'm going to church and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm working on something, but I know it's, I'm not there yet. We keep it kind of nebulous because if we don't define what it is, then we're allowed to not really attain it. What's the goal? To be like Jesus, to do the things he did for the reasons that he did them. Otherwise, you're just playing around. You're just playing around. Those Essenes, they gave their lives to a passionate pursuit of God's word, and God honored them for it. And so maturity is the image of God in you and a passion for God's word expressed in community. You can see where the emphasis lies in this, right? It's not about me. It is ultimately not about me, my personal preferences or any of that. The reason why this pertains to our series in discipleship is because discipleship then is, let's put up this next slide, discipleship is a journey with someone else towards spiritual maturity being more true in their life. This is getting at the idea that someone is discipling you and you are then discipling someone else as far as you are able. Okay? It's a journey with someone towards spiritual maturity being more true in their life. And that spiritual maturity is they recognize God's image in them. They know he's put a piece of his kingdom, of himself. He's, we're made in his image. You have his image in you. And then it's expressed. You, you learn for a passion through, for God's word. You express it in community. And that is spiritual maturity. So we are journeying. Discipleship is journeying together towards spiritual maturity, being more and more true in our lives. And if, that, if, if that's not the case, then you just kind of hover. You just kind of stay in one spot. You just kind of couch surf. You're just sitting here flipping the channels. Not really watching the whole movie. 
you know? I'm journeying with someone as they get to discover the image of God in them, and they discover a passion for God's Word, and they learn to express that peace that God's given them after they've learned those things in the community. This is what we're supposed to be about. This is what our kinfolk groups are about. It's an invitation not to fixing a problem, not to getting counseling, not to happy little feel-good moments when you're in a, in a small group or a kinfolk group. All those things might happen in our kinfolk groups where you get to fix each other's problems and you get to counsel each other and you get to have feel-good moments, right? You, but it's an invitation to discover God's image in you. It's an invitation to develop a passion for God's Word in you and then express it in God's community. We're going to continue this series and talk about how this fleshes itself out even more in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to invite Glenn and the team to come back up here. We're going to enter into a very short time of prayer, and then we're going to come to these communion tables, and John's going to lead us in that. I want to point out that, just real briefly, side note here, we've got stations on the side. If you want to come up, you can spread out. The only gluten-free option is right here in the middle, if, if that's what you need. But... As we enter into this prayer time this morning, I want to invite you to have a conversation with God. I want to give you a good amount of time to pray and have a conversation with God. And be honest about how you might have been dancing around God's Word and not really getting into it. Be honest with Him and ask Him for help with that. Have you kind of like read it kind of? Have you been like, I don't really need to know it. I can look up anything anytime I need to know it. Have that conversation with him. His very word, you are in this moment in a minute. You are putting the word of God, Jesus. There's the word of God, scriptures, and there's the word of God, Jesus. It's used both ways in scripture. You are putting him in you. Don't just make it a symbol where you come here and you, and, and you ask for forgiveness, but have that conversation with him. Let's pray.